This is Seba, the Southern Fried Witch, and this is episode 16. I wanted to go ahead and warn you at the beginning of this, if you are tender about doggies passing away, that is what I'm dealing with, and that's what I'm going to discuss today. So you might want to skip this episode. Alrighty, well, uh, we just got back from Chattanooga. And we had a great time. I had bought the kids last year, they're grown kids, of course, tickets to the um, Tennessee Valley Chattanooga train ride, a dinner train. And I bought that for them last year. So they cashed in finally. And we also had this very reasonably priced cabin in the woods. And got to spend some quality time together. I got a bee in my bonnet last year about not buying too many material things. There are some things we need, of course, but I really did think that it just might be more wise to spend that money, whatever little bit we can uh, steal from the lot bills around here, on time together. And so last year I bought the kids tickets to St. Augustine and a rafting trip, a kayak kind of thing, and I got this. It was way more than I could afford, so next year we're going to go for just one trip. I had this, oh my gosh, I had this aging best friend. Y'all are going to just have to excuse this because it's either this or no podcast. But he's all that's on my mind. Well, him and my family. Years ago, when we were going through a really hard time in 2016, he started to develop a bit of a walking issue, and his back legs stopped working very well. They kind of looked like the rubber band man when he would walk. It's hip dysplasia. And Australian shepherds do that, apparently. As he was my very first dog, I didn't know anything about that. He taught me a lot of things. He was a lot of first. But that year, he also started to grow what looked like a benign fatty tumor on his side. At the time, it was maybe about half a size of a football. If he'd sliced it in half and just fixed it to his stomach there. And we had it checked and the doctor told us that it was not cancerous. And then it might be better to let him just live with it than a lot of dogs do. Regretfully, we found out yesterday that that was not the case. I'm very upset with a vet. I'm sure there's some of you out there that have been upset with your vet before, but I don't have time to process that right now. So we went to this beautiful trip, and we grappled before we went. He no longer could walk very well. He was having trouble holding his bladder and other things. And for a boy this good, 
You could see the disappointment in himself when something would happen. I never made him be a good boy. He made himself. So we grappled, and at the end of the day, three out of the four of my family could not bring themselves to put him down before we left. So we got him hospice care, thinking that we would come back home and get him and have him a steak dinner and spend a week or two with him. We knew it was getting close, but his mind was still bright. The vet told us that, a new vet. He did not seem to be in any kind of pain whatsoever. And to be honest with you, we were being a little selfish. But as a pagan, if it's at all possible, and if it's without pain, I had really hoped for him to die naturally, possibly in his sleep, and most assuredly here at home in front of a roaring fire. And all signs looked as if that would be the case. And after our wonderful trip, we pulled back up, the whole family, on the way. Thank goddess, because if we had not, if we had dropped the boys off, they would not have been there. It was a bit of a miracle. And as they were lifting him, so that he could come on home, the skin around the tumor burst. I'm not going to get into the details of this, because, well, I don't want to cry in a podcast. And I'm sure you don't need to hear it to know that it was uh, the last straw for the old boy. It was unmanageable, but I'll give it to the vet. She offered to find ways to let him come home in that condition so that we could say goodbye if that's what we needed to do. And at that moment, I don't think she was being a vet any longer. I think she was being a human being. I'm having a lot of trouble discussing this, but I'm hopefully going to get somewhere. Let's see. So I went back out to the car and I told everybody that it wasn't going to be the way we thought it was going to be and that we had to let him go. I'm going to keep that little bit of time we had there private. It's ours. But I will tell you that watching my son grieve, it was his dog. The pain in his face and his insistence to sign the death certificate himself and to stay to the very bloody end was heroic, quite honestly. We buried him last night, as soon as we got home, underneath a mulberry tree. And we burned candles for him all night long. And today, my world feels a little empty. I hope y'all forgive me. This is the uh, very first podcast I've ever done without him at my feet. So it's hard. Y'all are gonna think I'm ridiculous, but I put on my makeup before I sat down to do this podcast in hopes that I could keep it together, sort of like an insurance policy. And I am failing. Because I'm a silly old woman. But his name was Gatsby. After the great Gatsby. My favorite book in the entire world. He came into my life at the most inopportune time 13 years ago. Now I was absolutely petrified of dogs when I was a little girl. 
I had been attacked by a Dalmatian, and he had ripped underneath my eyeball in a perfect little crescent and eaten most of my earlobe. And that wasn't the worst of it. Back then, I I guess they thought I was going to go into shock, but they just put a white sheet over my face so that they could work on particular areas and had nurses and my mother and who all knows. uh, Lots of folks hold me down while they operated on me wide awake. It's quite a traumatizing event. So I was always terrified of dogs. Small dogs, big dogs, old dogs, dogs that didn't move, dogs that were in movies, all dogs terrified of them. And I feel so badly for my boys because of that fear and also extreme poverty. We did not have a dog when they were growing up. Well, my baby son is 24, so I had a youngin when we finally did get our dog, but not from birth they didn't grow up with dogs. And they always begged for one, but the house we were living in at the time wouldn't allow dogs. And I was smoking a cigarette. Yes, yes, isn't that a shameful shock? And I didn't want my children to know I smoked. And I was sitting outside in the backyard. It was a fenced-in backyard with a carport. And where the yard met the carport, there was a fenced gate. And the gate was open. And I was sitting in the back, in the dark, having that horrible cigarette and drinking a glass of wine and talking to my best friend, Robin. We were at the end of our graduate student careers. I was looking for a bigger job, and I think she already had a bigger job. And we were having a nice conversation. When all of a sudden, in the dark, a dog ran into my backyard and plopped itself right in front of me and... I screamed and I stood up on my chair like it was a mouse and kept on screaming. And then he started screaming too, um, otherwise known as Howlin. And I said on the phone to my friend, there's a dog in my yard. What am I going to do? I'm afraid. What do I do? I can't move. I can't get to the door. And she said for me to sit down and be still if it wasn't growling and it looked sweet. And so I sat down, terrified, and he laid his long snout on my lap. And she said, I think you have a dog. And I said, I can't have a dog. Not only was I terrified of dogs, I also wasn't allowed one where I was living. So in my terror and my complete ignorance of all things canine, I slipped past him and slipped into the house and locked it up tight and went on back to bed and turned my TV on and my bedroom had a window that met the backyard, that fenced-in place I was telling y'all about. And this little rascal sat underneath my window all night long, whimpering. So the next day, I called all the humane societies and that kind of thing and the vets and I put up pictures. Asking everyone, did anyone lose a dog? Well, my son had woken up. I guess he was around 10. 
He had woken up and seen this dog, and he had begged me before school, please don't do this, Mama. Please let me keep him. He's so sweet. Let me keep this dog. But I told him I just didn't see how we could. So the next night, no one had reported him missing, and I'd left my phone number everywhere. My baby son had come home and had played with the dog until I had to drag him in for dinner. And then when he went to sleep that night, he left a note on my pillow. And it was titled, What I'll Do to Keep Him. That youngin had sworn everything from cleaning up poop to, I don't know, his firstborn. If he could just have a dog. And so the next day, I did the unthinkable. I closed the gate, locking that dog into my backyard and locking him into my heart forever. The vet had assumed that a college student had left him. He had his tail docked. He knew sit and stay. He knew how to shake with both hands. He was fully potty trained. But in this college town, these rich kids sometimes get these animals and then they get a big job or they move on and they realize they can't take them and something's missing in their soul when they leave these animals behind. And that's what we reckon had happened. He was a full-blooded Aussie. It hasn't even been 24 hours, so every time I say was, it hurts. We went on and we moved to Albany, Georgia. I got a job as a professor there at a wonderful HBCU, but my kids were miserable and we had to move back within the year. But during that time, a professor there had intervened with the local animal control. They had rounded up a bunch of black kittens on campus and they'd put them all to death except for one that this professor was able to stop. And she took him home and She couldn't keep him. This all rounds about. Hold on, y'all. And so she said that she was probably going to relinquish him to the Humane Society. And they had really rough rules around there in that kill shelter. But it was Christmas time. It was actually about this time of the year. And she asked me if I would just take care of him for a couple of days while she was gone. While I was taking care of him, I ended up sweeping a floor in front of him. And that was the the day I knew that I was going to have to deal with another damn cat. Because he was only a minute, maybe eight weeks. And he immediately jumped on that broom and rode it the entire time that I swept that floor. That was to be my familiar. We lost him a couple of years ago. His name was Elvis. But their stories collide, you see, Gatsby and Elvis. Because I had never let Gatsby in the house, I was terrified. I thought all dogs kill cats. See how much he taught me? It took so long for me to learn. He was so patient with me, learning all these life lessons I should know better, and I didn't. And... One night over there in Albany, Georgia, after I got this little kitten, I had my baby Gatsby out there in the carport. Well, no, the garage. It was a beautiful garage, and it was insulated. I had a heater. 
and that's where he stayed at night. And I woke up early in the morning and couldn't find the kitten and then saw the door to the garage was ajar and my heart fell. I just knew when I opened that door it was going to be a massacre out there. I was so scared. And I opened that door and I saw Gatsby laying there in his bed all curled up. Kind of dim light and I didn't see the kitten anywhere. I didn't see any blood. I said, kitty, kitty, kitty. And my Gatsby had a full black back. His whole back was just beautiful black fur. And this tiny little black ball of fur on top of him raised up and said, Mew. Gatsby had taken care of that kitten all night. And that's how Gatsby ended up being in the house. There are a lot of other stories that I won't bore you with. I'm sure they're only valuable to those who met Gatsby. He saved me from a predator once. I think that is the only human being he ever bit. He saved me from a coyote one time. We were living out there in the woods, and he actually jumped his fence, one of those electronic ones, and shocked himself nearly to death to save my life. He used to pull my baby son around on a skateboard and slept with him in the bed every night. He never made a mistake on the floor. Not for 11 years, he never made a mistake. Not only did Gatsby love kitty cats, they loved him. All of the cats that have come and gone in our lives loved him very special. He was significant to them. They would find him and rub all over him. This last little kitten I saved is tiny and black, just like Elvis. The week before Gatsby died, I took him out to potty, and he just wanted to sit in the sun a minute. And so I let him. I went back inside and let him sit out there for just a little bit. And when I came back out, that tiny little kitten I adopted was curled up on him. Honestly, there's really no use in me trying to describe to you who this was. You had to know him. I think it all wraps up in one tiny story. We went to the beach. He loved to swim. And we didn't know that. We found that out real quick. But he was such a little hero, such a savior. Well, he wasn't that little. He was about 50, 60 pounds and There was a man that was way out in the waves, standing there letting the waves hit him. And my boy jumped in the water and swam all the way to him and tried to pull him back in by his drawers. (laughs) The man kept on saying, get your dog off me. You see, Gatsby thought he was drowning. That's the kind of guy he was. I've lost a lot of animals. I'm old enough to know what it feels like. And this may be an unpopular opinion, Well, while I believe all animals are special and different and good, not like humans at all, more real somehow, I have met animals that just don't classify right. I have cats that are beautiful and sweet, and they're really good cats, and I love them. And then I've had a cat or two that just wasn't a cat at all. It was like a little person stuck in there. And the same thing goes for dogs. While they may all be sweet, well, most of them anyway, 
I've met a couple of dogs that just come off more particular in their soul than other dogs. And if you've ever read my blog about loving Harriet, you know that I found a chicken like that. But last night, as I was trying to grieve myself to death like a damn old fool, my husband reminded me that Gatsby was very significant, not just in his personality or the way he loved our family or the way he saved kitty cats all the time. But by coming to me and demanding I let him into my life the way he did, he took my fear of dog away. He healed my soul from when I was a little girl. And by proxy, he has saved so many dogs. My husband wants the final count. I'm really not sure what it is. This morning before coffee, trying to kind of hold on, I counted up to 26. If it were not for him, I wouldn't have helped others. I wouldn't have fostered. I wouldn't have rescued. So in many ways, he was a hero for his own kind, too. I don't trust people anymore that don't like dogs. I think there's something missing, and it scares me. I'd love to find the words to talk someone into saving dogs. Finding something inside of your soul to allow that to happen. Truly, in my heart, I believe that they are here for comfort and companionship. They are an absolute gift. But I suppose I would end that conversation with this. In his last days, I would set him up on a pillow in front of a roaring fireplace And I would put his water and his food there. And then I would try to come do something. Maybe come to the podcast room or go to the kitchen to cook. And I would hear it. It would start across the house. The sound of dragging legs. He would drag himself. Just to lay at my feet. Now that's love. I know three people in my life have come very close to loving me like that. And I don't want to disparage them, but you just can't beat that. You can't outdo Gadsby. Those beautiful brown eyes are going to be stuck in my head all of my life. I don't know why I felt compelled to tell you all this, and I'm sure I'm not doing a very good job. But it occurs to me that the impulse in me right now is to never love that way again. I think it's the impulse in all of us when we get hurt. I don't want to land back here. But then look at what I would have missed. I've saved Maggie and Jax, and in some ways my little Yorkshire Raz, Boosie and Khaki, and eight other puppies that now have wonderful home. <laughs> What a time for them to howl. And if Gatsby taught me anything, he taught me that things can heal. He healed that little girl I was up. The one that was so afraid of everything that looked like a dog. And I factor, if I can't keep my heart open... And let it happen again. But I haven't learned a thing.
then his time here was not well spent then. I would have wasted that lesson. You know, I've seen people die, and the ones who were closest to that human being suddenly break all of the work that that dearly departed person had created in their life. Connections in families, lessons in forgiveness, I've seen that happen where an entire family is no longer what it was. That means the lessons are lost. That's what that means. If people are too tired or too broken or too unwilling to continue to open their hearts and get broken again, because that's always the risk, even if everything works out, someone, honey, is going to die. Then what was the point of the person who was there? What would the point be? My grandma and my father were practically put on this earth to heal families. And once they were gone, there was just not enough glue left. I fought, but it didn't work. There was nothing left. Not of what it was. It became something quite new in that family. Not as forgiving, not as kind, and not as radical as the love that used to exist within it. If I allowed this pain that's ravaging right through me right now to stop me from helping dogs, from giving them a home, well then what was his point? Was it just to be here and help us for 13 years? And after he's gone, there's not even an echo of him? You know, they say as long as you remember something, it lives. But I think they need to work on that. It should be as long as you act as if they're still alive and can see your ass. They still live. Today's a rough day. I don't know how I'm going to continue. But that's not the damn point. I know that I will. It's one hell of a ride, isn't it? Keeping your heart open, doing it over and over. But I reckon every time I save a dog, I'm looking in those brown eyes again. And every time I forgive someone who's hurt me, I'm remembering my grandma. I'm remembering my father. And when I die, if my family fell apart, if they no longer work to forgive each other and be together, sit around that damn fireplace and drink their wine and We have this thing we do when there's nothing left to say. We start playing songs and we start singing to them. And everybody gets a vote. What do you want me to play next? My oldest son sure does love Leonard Skinner, so that always ends up somewhere. If they didn't do that when I was gone, it would be like I'd never been here. I think we worry so much about what we're leaving behind that we don't really think enough about what we're tending from that which has been left behind by those we love. If we are really to keep those that have passed on in our hearts alive in some beautiful way where they become part of us and the tree that we become, we've got to care about what they cared about. We've got to care about the gifts they gave us. When we stop doing that, 
start thinking about what's right for us and not what's the bigger picture, we lose them. They die. There are very few things I can talk about that my mother gave me that feel good, where there's no pain attached. And I want to give her honor for this one. She told me this story a long time ago, and I'm sure some of you have heard it. She said, so you're in a car and you're coming to a stoplight and it turns green for you. So you absolutely have the right of way. Now you look to your right and there's a semi truck just a barreling down that thing and it's going to plow right through that intersection. He does not have the right of way, but he's a coming. Now then, do you go ahead and go? I mean, after all, you are right. I think when we do not honor the wishes of those who have come before us, those who have loved us desperately and given us so much and brought so much love, including our babies that may happen to be canine or feline or even a chicken or two. And we forget that. We forget what mattered to them. We forget the kind of love they gave. We forget what ends up being this beautiful, gorgeous life. And then they pass away. We become bitter and hurtful and selfish and don't care anymore about what we used to know or what we used to love. I think in that moment, we're going right through that stoplight. And there is a huge semi-truck, honey, and it's headed right for your head. Well, I have been told that I am a hard ass. I've been told I am too much of a purist. I've been told that people can't be like me. Even I can't be like me half the time, y'all. But I do highly encourage you. If there was something in your life that has now stopped breathing, but it brought love and It brought excitement and it brought some kind of promise of tomorrow and toasted up your heart all warm, made things better for everything around it, and it's gone and you're bitter. I beg of you, through the tears and through the pain and the ache and everything that is your bones, try. Try to keep them alive through what you are doing, how you are being, how you are loving, how you're forgiving. The things you do now, if they are an echo of that thing that loved you, then that thing, well, honey, it's still right here, isn't it? He or she is not dead yet. Still walking in your shoes. I know it's a very hard row. Well, y'all, I know I usually do about an hour if I can get to it. But tonight, my kids are working on picking out a Christmas tree. And they're bringing it here afterward. And I need to go get on my good walking shoes and potty the dogs and get ready to celebrate as much as possible. Because that is living. And I'm not dead yet. And you need to say this to yourselves. Say, I'm not dead yet. There is still time to do something beautiful. Even if it's to forgive somebody or tell somebody you love them. If you're not dead yet, do one sparkly, beautiful thing. Just one. 
It could be save a dog. It could be to tell an old person that they're beautiful. It could be to save a plant. But do one good thing. That, in essence, is real magic. And for my best friend, Gatsby, you, you made me believe again. You kept me safe. You brought so much love to my family. I honestly cannot find words for you. I just went out and lit your candle, and it's not enough. So, Mama's going to embarrass herself, honey. Close your eyes. You can close your eyes. It's all right. I don't know no love song. I can't sing the blues anymore, but I can sing this song. And you can sing this song when I'm gone. Mama loves you, baby. Close your eyes. Y'all have been listening to the Southern Fried Witch Podcast. Come back around next week for a little bit more magic from the Deep South.